Mr. Barton Maths Podcast with me, Craig Barton, a show where I interview people who interest and inspire me from the wonderful world of education. Something a little bit different this episode. You may or you may not know that I also host a podcast called Inside Exams, where I go behind the scenes of English awarding body AQA to find out the answers to the questions you want to know. Each episode features an interview with someone from AQA and then with a teacher who shares practical tips about how they have overcome a particular issue. We've covered everything on the show from how papers are written, grade boundaries are set, multiple choice questions and just how do AQA react on the day of an exam when Twitter is going a little bit mental. Now, we're currently in the middle of season two of Inside Exams, so I wanted to take this opportunity to share with you one of my favourite episodes from that season. It's all about malpractice, the kind of things that students and teachers do, both deliberate and accidental, that may jeopardise a candidate's, or indeed a whole group of candidates' results. Now, as well as hearing from one of AQA's experts, you'll also hear from an exams officer in a school who tells us the measures she puts in place to ensure exam season runs as smoothly as possible. And there's some classic things there. Now, I have chosen this episode as it was a real eye-opener for me. It'll certainly keep me on my toes when dealing with exams in the future. I really hope you enjoy this episode, and for more like this, please do check out Inside Exams wherever you get your podcast from, or follow the link in the show notes. Enjoy! Hello, and welcome back to Inside Exams. I'm Craig Barton, a maths teacher with 15 years of classroom experience. But even after all that time, I'm still not massively confident about my many roles and responsibilities at exam time. So across this series, I'm meeting the people who can teach me a thing or two about assessments and exam etiquette. As it turns out, I'm not alone in wanting a little more information. Hi, I am Tony and I'm an English teacher. I was just wondering, um, obviously we do our best to obviously help our students as much as we can before the exam, but what may we be doing that kind of blurs the lines that could be considered malpractice? Um, Not outright cheating, but could be considered malpractice. During court cases, innocent mistakes can compromise the integrity of a trial. What if a juror overhears a conversation about evidence the judge ruled inadmissible in the trial? Whether an action's deliberate, careless or entirely inadvertent, the judge may well have to declare a mistrial. The consequences are serious, regardless of the root cause. The same is true of national exams. And while I can't imagine any of us intentionally cheating, I do wonder if you're right, Tony, that there are things we do that begin to blur the lines. So, what could exam malpractice include? Does that just mean cheating, or is there more to it? I'm going to meet Richard Taylor, AQA's Head of Exams Integrity, and Louisa Fyans, Head of Exams Integrity and Inspection, to find out. Okay, Richard, if I can come to you first, what constitutes malpractice in terms of things that students might do? 
it covers a, a wide variety of infractions by students potentially. Um, the obvious ones are bringing things like unauthorised materials into the examination room, such as a mobile phone or anything that um, can connect to the internet, such as a smartwatch. Other aspects could be plagiarism, it could be sharing of confidential information, it could be things like anything that to do undermines the integrity of the examination generally. So it covers a whole multitude of potential infractions by a candidate. And Louisa, how about teachers? For teachers, we categorise malpractice into um, maladministration, breaches of security. So that might be where they've accidentally opened the wrong question paper packet before the exam. Improper assistance is another um, infraction that could be committed by a teacher. So that's where they would be giving help to a student beyond what is permitted by the by the regulations. What strikes me about this is there's there's a fine line, isn't there? I assume anywhere, anyway, between kind of definite deliberate malpractice and things that uh, just happen inadvertently, perhaps careless. Where where is that line? Could you give me an example, perhaps, of, of something a student may do that's not deliberately trying to cheat but would fall under the banner of malpractice? The obvious example, as I said before, is the mobile phone. A student may forget to hand in their mobile phone mm. during an examination. And the mobile phone may even be switched off in their pocket. But the fact it is on their possession would can, would constitute malpractice. Oh, wow, is that right? So even if it's off... Even it... if it is off and it's in their pocket and it's not on display, the fact it is on their possession would constitute malpractice, even if there is no intention by the student to cheat or to use that phone. Flipping heck. And just in case we've got students listening to this here, if, if that phone is turned off but happens to be in their pocket and it gets discovered, what, what happens there? Is, is that game over in terms of that exam for the, that student? In that situation, the penalty according to the JCQ guidelines would be that student would receive a zero mark for that exam. Wow, so pretty serious stuff. It can be very detrimental to the students, absolutely. Flipping heck. Okay, so let's get those mobiles turned off and let's get them handed in. Fantastic. What about the teachers, Louisa? What, what, what might be something a teacher may do that, again, in all innocence, but would fall under this category of malpractice? Yeah, so, and again, that it can happen and, it, and we do see it quite a lot in the cases that we get through. So um, I mentioned before about accidentally opening a question paper packet early. So there are rules around when question paper packets can be opened for the exam. Can you go into those rules? Tell me the rules there. Yeah, so it's changed recently, but until recently they had up to an hour before the exam to open the question paper packets and get them, you know, ready for the students sitting the exam. They are supposed to check what it says on the front of the question paper packet. They should check the date. They should check that they've got the right subject and the right paper. However, it can happen that they still accidentally open the wrong one. And on occasions, that paper might end up on the desk of the student. On a few occasions, the student might actually end up sitting that incorrect paper. Now, in most of those situations, there's been no intention on the part of the individual who's opened that question paper packet. But unfortunately, you know, it has happened. They've not noticed it and it has potentially got through to a student who's ended up sitting the wrong paper. And obviously the implications of that can be quite high if you've got a student who's then sat a paper that's actually due in two days' time. They've seen the content now. The rest of the national cohort hasn't. So there is a risk then to the integrity of the Uh, exam. Of course, because I'm being daft here. All the papers essentially get delivered roughly the same time, right, for that exam series. So you crack open the wrong pack of papers and you potentially two days before the exam is going to be sat. What on earth do you do in that situation? 
So in that situation, we would need to get immediate assurances from the school as to, to what they've done to ensure that that paper's then back in secure storage. Um, we'd need to know who's seen it, who's had access to it. If a student has sat that exam, we'd need a signed declaration from them that they haven't discussed the content with anybody um, and that they're not going to discuss the content yes. with anybody. Obviously, for that student, they've actually missed an exam that they should have sat. Um, so we would have to then take steps to protect the student's interests. Usually we'd have to estimate an outcome for them in that exam that they didn't wow. sit that they were supposed to. Oof, a flipping echo. Okay, so, so that's that's one to watch out for. Make sure you have a, a careful read over what you're opening up before you open it. And um, Any other examples of something a teacher may do inadvertently? Improper assistance can be an area mm. as well, I suppose. It, it's one of those where obviously there's guidance out there. There's generic guidance about conducting non-exam assessment and normally it's in the non-exam assessment components that improper assistance might take place. What do you mean by non-exam? These are what used to be, they're, they're like coursework or controlled mm, assessment, see. what those used to be. So now it's non-exam assessments. So that means it's not, the student isn't going to go into an exam at the end of it and be presented with the paper for the exam. It will be something that they're working on for an amount of time and it will be usually marked by teachers at the school yes rather than by our examiners at aqa so what can happen with those there are, as i said there are rules around what help and assistance a teacher can give to a student for those components there's some general rules for non-exam assessment and there'll also be subject specific rules in most cases but it can happen that a teacher inadvertently gives too much help mm. and that obviously then is is an issue because that student might have had help that they weren't entitled to and that other students within the national cohort haven't had and it can be a very fine line as to what is permitted and what isn't what is general advice that is permitted and what is subject-specific advice to the candidate, that isn't. And so in those situations, we can't necessarily accept the work that they've produced, but we accept, obviously, that this isn't the student's fault, so we want to do something to protect their interests. And what we would usually do is estimate an outcome for the student in that affected component. And that's similar to what happens if they were absent for an acceptable reason or, or another reason why the work wasn't available to be marked. We've touched upon this a little bit, but how have, how's malpractice changed over time? Particularly, I'm thinking with, with, with technology. How are the instances of malpractice changing? The advent of social media has obviously presented a huge challenge to us. There's opportunities for people to share information online that perhaps wasn't there five, ten years ago. And any information that may have been given to candidates was in the past very localised mm. and would only affect a very small number of candidates. Now, of course, if any student has any information or been given any advantage at all before the exam, then that information can be shared online by that student and it can quickly escalate. We have seen a significant number of fake papers being distributed online which students may think are real, <laughs> yes. which causes its own problems. And again, potentially disadvantages students. So the advent of social media in particular does present uh, huge challenges to us. That's incredible, that, because once it's out there, there's no way of controlling it, right? It, that must be incredibly difficult. Absolutely. And I think some, some students fail to understand or fail to realise that if they receive any information, such as a leak of a paper, perhaps, 
And if they share that online with their friends, that is malpractice in itself. Yes. So they would be subject, if that is discovered, to be a significant sanction. Oh, that's interesting. So it's not just the student or teacher, whoever who's initially leaked this. If any student receives it and, let's say, retweets it or emails it onto their friends, they're potentially liable as well. Is that right? Absolutely. It's not just the actual original source of the obtaining of any information. It's people who then participate in the sharing of that information online. If we go back to, um, to to exam papers, so I could obviously imagine if an actual paper got leaked, that is massive and there's been some high profile instances of that. You mentioned before fake papers. Would that then, say like a, a student thinks, oh, let's have a joke. Let's pretend I've got hold of tomorrow's English GCSE paper. Let me put it on Twitter. I've just made it up. I've done a bit of fancy photoshopping of the front cover. I'm leaking that, a bit of a laugh. Is, is, that, is that serious? Is that malpractice to pretend you've got the paper? If some somebody does that clearly they want people to believe that it's the real thing mm. um, and it is having an impact on the integrity of the examination and undermining the integrity of the exams is sort of a category yes. of malpractice for students now just on that in relation to the sharing of hoax papers uh, one of the recommendations from the recent dunford commission report into malpractice has suggested that the sharing of a hoax paper would be malpractice in its own right Wow. So that might be an actual offence in the very near future. Back to how malpractice may have changed over time. Now, we obviously, we've got lots of technological developments um, happening. Mobile phones wouldn't have been an issue 20 years ago, and now, obviously, they're, they're sources of, of, of all the information in the world. But also, you've got other things, right? So watches would be a classic example. Watches now do far more than, than, than tell the time. We are probably not too far away from having glasses that can do incredible things. And, and as a maths teacher myself, even the calculator this was something we never used to have to worry about because a calculator could just do calculations but now you can store things in there and all sorts what kind of challenge is this and and how on earth do you cope with this the all this technology that's out there how how do you police that and ensure that centers are aware of, of what is permitted and what isn't it is difficult and obviously there is an element of trying to stay up to date you have to know what the technological changes are mobile phones have been prohibited for a long time now, so are smartwatches. Again, referring back to Richard mentioned the Dunford Commission, a recommendation from that was actually that all watches should be banned from the exam wow, room from now on. And that's in light of the fact that as technology develops, it can become quite difficult yes. to tell when it's a smartwatch or just a standard analogue watch. I mean, just on that, Louisa, we had cases this summer where candidates were reported to ourselves for having a Fitbit yes. on their possession and whether that was a smartwatch or whether it was a straightforward watch. Right, I always like, when I'm lucky enough to speak to people for, from AQA, I love a bit of a kind of day in the life of, <laughs> of what happens here. So so let's imagine there's an exam, we're in the, in the midst of exam season, um, summit dodgies happen, there's been a report of, of malpractice within a centre. Uh, what's, what's the process? Um, who lets you know and, and how do you find out and what, what what's the first thing that happens at your end? Let's say it was a candidate case referred to by the school. A lot of the time, the information we receive from the school, it's on a prescribed form, that would hopefully give us enough information, together hopefully with a candidate's statement as to what's happened from the candidate's point of view and ensure that they are their voice is heard in the, in the investigation. And so, yeah, the team will look at what that allegation is, they'll evaluate the evidence that has been received, and then they'll make a decision as whether on the balance of probabilities, and that's our test, on the balance of probabilities, has there been an infringement of, our, of, the, of the rules? And if there has, 
then the next stage would be what sanction would be appropriate to apply to that candidate. For students, they might get a warning in the least serious cases. They could suffer a loss of marks for that particular paper that they've sat, as Richard mentioned before. They could be disqualified, and that could be from the whole subject. It could be from more than one subject. Wow. Oh, really? Yes, yeah, depending on the severity of what they've done. And ultimately, we could bar them for a period of time from sitting AQA's exams. Gee, so this could wipe them out for an entire GCSE series, potentially? Potentially. That would have to be a a very, very serious case. What what are we talking there? What what would they have to do to, to push it that far? Yeah, that's a good question. So, um, for example, if somebody perhaps deliberately gained access to one of our papers early, posted it on social media, was sharing it widely with other people, that would be a very serious case. Because if you think about it in terms of impact of that, um, how many people might have been affected by it, what action we might have to take for the other students, that would be very serious. And what about if a, if a teacher does something? Because ultimately it's going to be the, the students who suffer. Well, how, how do you balance that out? It can um, go from anything from words of advice. Yep. So we don't, we don't actually issue a sanction as such. We just offer words of advice so that they don't hopefully do the same infraction again. Yes. We can give them a warning. We can ask them to undertake training or be supervised by somebody more senior to them in whatever aspects of the uh, examination that may have gone wrong. In, in that series or again we could suspend we could put a suspension on that teacher in relation to being involved in AQA's examinations wow. for a period of you know one two even more years we do also have sanctions that apply to a center so if we had concerns about more systemic issues perhaps lots of things that don't seem to be being done correctly lots of breaches at the school we could bar a center as it were so we could withdraw their ability to enter for AQA's exams or deregister them from being able to enter with us to wrap things up we always like some practical takeaways for for the teachers who are listening so my first question is if a teacher suspects some malpractice is going on whether it's deliberate or inadvertent what what should they do? Who should they call? I would say that a teacher who suspects that they should inform their head of centre and there is an obligation to inform the relevant awarding body. So they need to make sure that that notification to us comes through. And like I said, it isn't about this is a proven case of malpractice, but if they suspect it could be malpractice, they do need to inform us. Fantastic. And if we've got some students listening who definitely don't want to deliberately cheat, but want to make sure that they don't fall into some of the things that we've spoken about, what are some of the top tips you'd say to students? What are some of the big don'ts or do's that students should listen to? The big don't is clearly don't bring your mobile phone into the examination room. Yeah. That that accounts for a significant proportion of our candidate malpractice cases that we receive. Majority of which, of course, are inadvertent. So my advice would be to leave that mobile phone at home. If you do have to take it into the school, ensure that it's handed in before you go into the examination room. And again, if a student before the exam sees anything online, do not share that information, do not retweet it, do not forward it on, but make sure that that information is passed on either to a teacher or to the head of centre, or if that feels uncomfortable, then come to the awarding body directly and we will investigate as to why that information has been posted online and we will take action wherever possible. 
well, I'm going to make sure I follow all that advice because at the end of the day, we, we work so hard for our students and the last thing we want to do is jeopardise that by doing something that we don't intend to do. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I feel a lot clearer about what counts as malpractice. There's so much we should be doing in school to maintain the integrity of exams. Jessica Hickey is the exams officer at St Martin's Catholic Academy. I'm going to meet her to understand how she keeps her colleagues vigilant during exam season. Jessica, so my first question for you is, what are some of your responsibilities as an exams officer? Mainly the keeping the integrity of exams. So that includes all the organisation, but it's all the preparation, which also gives you um, the confidence when the exams are actually in place. My also responsibility is also to train invigilators, because obviously they take on a lot of the responsibility when the exams are in progress. Um, and to make sure that everybody, you know, is going from the same rule book and um, all the exams are protected. What happens practically in terms of the delivery of papers? This always interests me because you must have like thousands of papers come through round about exam season. And of course, if any of those leak out or anything, it's, it's all going to be kicking off. I'm picturing kind of like a, an armoured vehicle pulling up <laughs> and you coming out there with guards and stuff. What happens when these papers arrive and where do you keep them? OK, so there's a lot of regulations given by JCQ. The exam papers are delivered securely, but just by a courier, no particular um, <laughs> vehicle involved. But um, but then it is all very much recorded. So if we haven't received the papers, then we have to notify the awarding bodies straight away. And then obviously just anything to mi- minimise that amount of time that the papers haven't been accounted for. So as soon as the papers arrive in school, we as an exams officer have to pretty much collect those papers from the office straight away. So it's just having a clear procedure in place with other members of the staff in the school. Um, what's your contingency if you're, you as an exam officer is not in school? Yes, of course. Um, so just make it, and it have to go directly to your secure unit in your secure room. So it's usually a safe or a locked filing cabinet. So we have to take the papers straight away, which could be boxes and boxes at a time. Do they all come on the same day? No, they are varied over time. But as a centre, you are to have at least three weeks worth of exam papers. You should be able to store that and your secure. Do you just give unit. us a sense of the, the kind of size that needs to be? What are we um, talking about? So my cohort is... Well, last year it was 100. The coming year it's going to be 150. So I'm actually looking at redoing my secure um, storage. But that is about a double safe, like a a filing cabinet safe of about five shelves. Right, Okay, Um, And and it gets full. I bet it. And in in, in bigger centres, particularly Uh, when you chuck A-level and all that into the mix, we could be talking huge year. Yeah, it's a, a massive thing. And then... So we have to check them all off and make sure everything's accounted for and then it has to all be put in data order as well. So the JCQ inspectors then may come around and do an inspection to check on the papers um, and that is how they're organised and also to check they haven't been opened. Yeah, of course. Uh, Yeah, I did hear a story that the exams officer was off ill 
Right. Um, so uh, admin support uh, or part of the team decided to take all the exam papers and she thought she was helping her by unwrapping them oh, out no. of each... Oh, I'm cringing, I'm cringing. <laughs> ...out of each um, plastic wallet and organised all locked away and secure. Yes. But every paper was out of its plastic oh, no. sealed wallet, which obviously when the exam officer came back, alarm bells soon oh. went... What's happening so, in that situation? Um, so that obviously has to get reported to the awarding bodies and there'll be an investigation by the awarding body. And I think there was, there would have been some sort of support in place in order to just a bit of retraining. And I think they have to check exactly who's seen the paper, how far it could yes, have spread. of course, of um, course. But I think because it was quite contained... That's the blessing, wow. but that could yeah, have been bad. It, it, yeah, it's just things like people don't quite yes. realise how high the security is, and bless her, she just thought she was doing a job. So let's assume that the papers have arrived safely, yeah. they're locked away. We're yeah. happy with that. No one's cracked them open. What are some examples of where things could still go wrong at, at that instance? G- give me some examples of malpractice, whether they're deliberate or, or non-deliberate, okay. that could still happen. So you hear it most years. Hasn't happened in my centre, but I mean, it definitely has happened this year where the wrong exam paper has been handed out. So that's one of the reasons why JCQ brought in that it's called a second pair of eyes check. So that's where we have to, two people have to sign the papers out. And then with good practice, we also get our invigilators to sign in the room, the individual rooms wow. that they've checked the papers as well. What are some of the most recent changes to things that teachers can and can't do that potentially some some listeners may not be aware of that they need to be aware of? Not to go near the exam room if it's your particular subject. You shouldn't be allowed in there unless you've got purpose to be in there. But you don't want to put yourself in a position where whether you think you're intentionally doing malpractice or not, you don't want to put yourself in a position where it's going to be even questionable. Obviously, they're not allowed to have prior knowledge to the exam papers. They shouldn't have that opportunity to even be in reach of the exam papers. Talk to me about the practicalities of, of after the exam, because that's another potential, anything mm-hmm. could be happening there, couldn't it? So, so you say to the say to the kids, put your pens down now. What happens to, to those papers? Um, and how do you ensure that there's no inadvertent malpractice that happens at that stage? They get told no more writing. Yep. So they should so vigilant that they're not scribbling down, yes, uh, you know, loads more answers. <laughs> so they close their paper and then they are to still be in exam conditions. Yes. It is the rule they are in exam conditions from the moment they enter the hall to the moment they leave the hall. It's not when the exam is actually finished. That's a big one, that, right? Because yeah. you could imagine, particularly it's the last exam, a kid's finished, pen down, they either say something, look round yeah. or something like that. That was That's still malpractice. That's still malpractice. It's, wow. communi- it's communicating. It's communication. So it's still malpractice. They don't need to be talking at that stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. In what, like... They can wait until they are outside and then they can do a big exhale. It's all (laughs) over and then they can share their, you know, experiences. But whilst they're in the exam hall, the discipline is the same. They are to be seated and wait until all the exam papers are collected. Mm -hmm. There's nobody to leave until all the papers are collected. Then they are obviously allowed to go. And then myself or the invigilators will then put all the papers in order in accordance to the attendance registers yes. um, 
given by the awarding bodies and then I do not let anything leave until everything's sealed in, oh, the, okay. in the bags ready for the collection from the um, couriers. Now with all these potential malpractice that, that could happen obviously it's far better to prevent this happening than have to deal with, with the consequences. Mm-hmm. So what measures do you put in place? Let's let's take students first. What, okay. what are the kind of messages and how are you giving them to students to, to ensure that they don't fall into this, these traps? Yeah our centre we tend to do them a student handbook every year so it's a written document that goes home to mum and dad and the student has to sign to say they've read it really that's interesting the parents have to sign to say their child has read it and this is purely about kind of exams so um it's all our sort of procedures so what's expected of them within our school so start times and what they need to bring how they need you know clear pen just as as simple information clear pencil cases all that sort of thing to start with and then we also include all the jcq suggested documents for the candidates so including the big no mobile phone poster that's the big one right and so it is it's quite a not too lengthy but it has it has got a lot of information in there so if even if they have any questions they should be able to refer to that and it should be quite clear and then we'll also follow up with assemblies. Oh, okay, that's. I think every media of communication yeah, of is course. needed because they're not interested. They're not going no, to take it in. Yeah, they're not going to read all the rules. Yes. And unfortunately, sometimes it takes for something horrible to happen yes, for yes. them to actually realise the severity. And you don't want them to make them feel more pressured course, in an exam room that they've, they've, you know, that they're going to do something yes. wrong. I think it's just. The main points, really, of if you do this, it's not a school matter. Yeah. It's not up to the school's discipline. Yes. It's, it goes further than that. And, it you know, the consequences could be massive. Jeez. Um, I so. think that's a smart move, getting the parents into the mix as well. Yeah. Do, do they tend to take it seriously, do you think? I think so. Well... I think getting the parents to understand it as well and to make sure that, you know, the child has to be responsible for mm. themselves. Something can't happen and then you'll get tend to get parents that may blame the school in yeah, some of course, way. But of if you can say that you've given all the information, yes. they've been told what's expected of them, they haven't met that criteria, yes, yes. then at least you can kind of cover yourself in that Absolutely. in that situation. One thing that's really come out of of this particular episode is that students can be the ones who bring about this malpractice, whether they mean to or not, but also teachers. Teachers can. How how do you inform teachers? Do, Do they have an assembly? Not necessarily. I'm trying to communicate more, especially with um, subjects that do non-examination assessments. I think that is probably where teachers are most likely to make a mistake. Mm. For instance, we've had an example where the teacher, part of the written examination could be supported by 500 word notes. And that had to be signed off by the teacher that the notes were relevant to that part of the paper and the notes were also written in a controlled environment. Right, I see. Um, So I think there was a bit of panic because these particular notes hadn't been completed. Ah, So instead of communicating with myself or the head of centre so we could probably make 
a plan going forward. It was just kind of a little bit backdated on yes. signatures yes. and some of the notes weren't supervised properly. I see. Um, so that did result in that paper not being counted wow. towards those students. It's serious fine. stuff this, isn't it? Yeah, it was myself that sort of picked up on the information to start with and we did started with an internal investigation using one of the JCQ forms before sending it off to the awarding body. In the exam room we said to invigilators note and report everything Mm. even if you think it's the smallest Mm. thing Mm. we have proper form in in the room just write it down and I can read it after and I think if I think there's a particular pattern or particular serious incident that happened and I can follow it up but because if we don't if I'm not aware if the invigilators do notice it and then I'm not aware because I'm not in the exam hall there could always be a student that then reports it directly to the awarding body. I want to talk now about invigilators because they must play a key role Mm -hmm. in this, right? So my first question is, um, do you kind of take responsibility for for training them up and making sure they're uh, aware of all the regulations? Yeah, so we do annual training. The regulations change every year. They're updated every year. Also, I don't think it hurts to just sort of go over what our sort of procedure and what we expect as we're growing we're also getting new invigilators yes i'm very lucky in my center that i do have a very good team of invigilators they work very well together which is key and they're regular i'm not changing invigilators constantly which it might be i mean i'll see them first thing the start of the academic year just to catch up we'll probably have a bit of a debrief on how the summer season went and taking their advice and giving them a voice as well what they think maybe we could do this better or oh, you know or I'll take their their notes from the exam hall and say well you know we saw a lot of toilet breaks over you know uh, you know just little yes. things and then I'll do that obviously in our annual training which this year took four hours wow yeah well, what kind of things you cover in there everything <laughs> um so we will cover the start of the exam and during the exam so they get a whole section on malpractice mm. also mm. so things to look out for what do we do if we see a malpractice and it's not to panic and raise alarm and you know but to if it's a minor thing obviously to note it if it's something that continues inform the exam officer it's interesting isn't it because it's 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 a tough job that being an invigilator because yeah. you can't if you're on to absolutely everything the whole atmosphere of the room changes yeah. students get anxious and so yeah. on but you can't let things go at the same no. time that's tough but it's to have a demanding presence but to also be compassionate mm. to the students yes, um, yes because they're in a very stressful time absolutely. and i think you don't want to be accusing all the time. <laughs> no, no. You don't want to be looking at them as if they're going to be doing something <laughs> yes, wrong. Yes, but yes. it's, I mean, we get our invigilators in for our mocks as well. Mm-hmm. And we do run our mock examinations the same as yes. our GCSEs. It's good practice yes. for both the students and the invigilators. And then we can have a debrief after those mock examinations That's and think, well, how what worked well, what didn't work well, you know. And it's also very good practice for the students. So they know what's expected of, of them. Um, I, I didn't realise the invigilators took notes um, kind of after everything. Yeah, well, what kind so of things are on those notes? Anything. So a lot of it would be toilet breaks. So oh, it would really? be 
left the room at this time. Like back. candidate number, who's yeah, left? Yeah, so who's, who's left? Who took them? Oh, right. The time they left the hall, the time they come back. Um, it could be, I mean, we get them to write down things like um, student didn't attempt attempt paper. Oh, really? Um, although that wouldn't be of interest yeah, of, course, of anything of that comes up. But, I mean, that helps us with, like, post results. Just keeps you informed of the whole series and you get all those notes do you yes after every exam and then i keep them attached to every seating plan until wow <laughs> yeah Jeez. in case i have to refer of back course. to it because it could be that there was a particular noise going on from this time to this time that would have to monitor but if a student then complains yes to me and i have no idea what they're talking yes. about then I can't really have much comment on the situation. Yes. So it's I'm just like, just note and report everything. Absolutely. And then if we have to pick up anything, we can. To bring things to a close, this has given me an incredible insight into, into the exam officer's life. I don't think I've, I, I've underappreciated my exams officers. <laughs> Let, let's just throw that out there for a start. Um, if we've got teachers listening to this, what, what could they do to make your life a bit easier? Well, what's, the dream, what's your dream teacher to work with? Obviously, you know what you're teaching, but knowing your own key dates um, your deadlines and what admin you need to complete in terms to meet those deadlines as well and just communication as well I think communication is a massive part of it because I need to be in the loop with things so if you are booking particular non-examination assessments and things it's great even if I'm not particularly involved in the organization it's great for me to know that that's happening yes um, and then I can support you if you need that support so I think the main thing is just having that good communication. Fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to definitely up my game now going <laughs> forward. Uh, Jessica, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, to speak to you, you today. Thank you. No, it's been lovely. Thank you. I love the idea of this super slick secret operation that Jessica runs to keep her schools safely above board. But I'm also really interested in how much value she puts on getting to know both staff and students personally to make sure no one has a chance to slip through the net. Think you're now able to spot questionable conduct? Well, in the podcast show notes, you'll find our Is This Malpractice quiz. And keep an eye out on your podcast feed, because next week you'll be able to hear a special episode that'll guide you through some of those malpractice investigations Richard and Louisa talked about. I'll be back in two weeks' time, looking for more top tips and inside scoops. But in the meantime, make sure you rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can also join the conversation and ask your own questions on Twitter using hashtag InsideExams. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.